Today I'll be reading Romans 2, verses 12 to 24. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Um, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not cheat yourself while you preach against stealing? Do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. One of the roles every parent has to play is the role of judge. Part of parenting is to judge our children's actions and attitudes. Uh, We will need to judge or settle disputes between our children. Parents will always also be accused of being unfair judges. Every parent has heard the words from their children, that's not fair. Every parent has been accused of favoring one child over another child. If you have siblings, you know exactly what I mean. I have two sisters who are eight and ten years older than I am. And to this day, they say to me, you were so spoiled. Mom and dad preferred you. It wasn't fair. They say as if it's my fault. Now, I think that's not fair. Gwen and I have three boys. And the three boys are pretty close in age to each other. So we had our share of disputes to settle between them. The boys didn't always appreciate our judgments and accused us often of being unfair in our discipline. So we learned a critical phrase early on in our parenting. And parents, you might want to go get a pen and paper and write this down, especially if you, if you have more than one child. We learned to say to our boys, we won't treat you the same, but we will treat you fairly. Do you get that? We won't treat you the same, but we will treat you fairly. As parents, it was our responsibility to discern what was best for our boys and to act accordingly, to parent accordingly. Regardless of how we disciplined each of our boys, our goal was the same. We wanted to love them, we wanted to build their character, we wanted to grow their maturity, and we wanted to prepare them for adult life. We hoped to develop them, to to grow up, to be good friends, to be good husbands and fathers, and most importantly, to be Christ followers. In today's text, the the Apostle Paul continues his teaching to the Roman church. And Paul is not one to sidestep challenging issues. And today he addresses God's judgment for Jews who thought that they had a special place of privilege. And also for Gentiles, which is anyone who is not a Jew, so that's most of us who are listening today. 
And he had information that he wanted to teach them about how God would treat them and judge them. In parenting language, Paul is saying to the Jews and the Gentiles, God, our Heavenly Father, is telling you, I won't judge you the same, but I will judge you fairly. What does it mean for God to judge us fairly? Now, Paul is telling us that whether we are a Jew or a Gentile, we will be judged by God. And in fact, we will be judged no matter our level of knowledge of God and his law. We will still be judged by God. Now, did you catch that? No matter our level of knowledge. Each group, whether we are a Jew who knows God or a Gentile who knows God or a Gentile who does not know God will be judged by God. And God will judge each group fairly. And all those are heavy words. But it's important that we understand what Paul is teaching the church in Rome and what he's teaching us. So today's message is focused on people who claim to follow Jesus. You could say this is a family conversation. If you're watching and you do not claim faith in Jesus, I would encourage you to stay with us and to learn what God expects of his followers. Well, back to our topic. Everyone will be judged fairly. Everyone will be judged fairly. So how is God going to judge us fairly? Let's take a look at verse 12, which James read for us earlier. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. Now, I know that can sound confusing at first. I like how the New Living Translation clarifies this text for us with a little simpler translation. It says, when Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews, who do have God's law, will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. The bottom line is this. Whether we know God's law or do not know God's law, we will be judged by God. Now, when you heard that verse read, you might have thought, I can understand why God would judge a Jew. But how can he judge Gentiles who have never heard of the law? How can he judge people today who have no idea who God is or how to obey him? Great questions. Now, over the following three verses, Paul builds his answer to the question. So verse 13, Paul said, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Now, did you catch that? Let me restate it for you. Merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. You get that? Merely listening to the law does not make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in God's sight. Now, Paul is telling his knowledgeable Jewish audience that their knowledge of God's law does not do anything for them. Now, it's wonderful to know God's law, but that knowledge in and of itself doesn't change their standing before God or prepare them for his judgment. It doesn't change our standing before God or prepare us for his judgment just because we know God's law. Information about God does not automatically ensure our transformation or our salvation. Paul says that it's obeying the law that counts. Now, this raises at least two questions, two that we have time to address today. What if I don't know the law? And secondly, do I have to follow the law to be saved or accepted by God? Let's go to verses 14 and 15 to to answer these questions. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, 
They're a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. And verse 15 then says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul saw the world divided into two groups of people as he's writing to the church in Rome. One group was the Jews who had the law given to them directly from God and written down so that all could read it. The other group was all the other nations without this written law, but with a God-implanted knowledge of right and wrong within their hearts. Do you catch that? The Jews had the law, so they were accountable to obey it. All the other nations of the world had a God-given, God-implanted knowledge of right and wrong within themselves. Both groups are accountable for what they know. Both groups are accountable for what they know. Neither group could claim exemption from judgment, from the judgment of God. The Jews could not claim exemption because they had a special place in God's plan. Paul says that doesn't work that way. The Gentiles could not claim exemption because they never received the written law. Paul says that doesn't work that way. The Jews would be judged as men and women who had known the law and Gentiles as people who had a God-given conscience. God will judge us according to what we know and have had the opportunity to know and learn about him. Ignorance is never an excuse. Lack of information is never an excuse. Now remember, God won't judge us all the same, but he will judge us fairly. God won't judge us all the same, but he will judge us fairly. This means that a Jew or really any person with great access to the word and teaching of God but who practices none of it will be held far more accountable than a Gentile. And in this case, any person who possesses a minimal amount of information about God, but who faithfully practices what they know. This is one of the new realities of the kingdom of God. The mystery of the uniting of Jew and Gentile into one body that Jewish believers in Rome were going to have to get used to. So therefore... If a person has an abundance of knowledge about God, the Jews, judgment will be based on this abundance of knowledge. On the other hand, if a person has little knowledge about God, the Gentiles in this text, then judgment will be based on the very little knowledge, relatively speaking, that they have about God. No one will be judged for knowledge they did not receive, but everyone will be judged for the knowledge they did receive. We all know God's moral standard. Every one of us does. Now, I want to make sure that I'm clear in what I'm saying. Paul teaches us that even though people who are not Jews did not have God's law, Paul said that God's law is written on their hearts. So what does that mean? Well, if you go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul taught us that through everything God made, they, people, can clearly see God's invisible qualities his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So Paul is telling the Roman church, he's telling us that everyone has an internal moral standard that they are aware of. Everyone knows God's moral standard. We all have an internal sense of right and wrong that comes from God. Everyone has a conscience. Everyone has an internal compass of right and wrong. For example, 
That's why we get upset when we're in a long COVID line at Costco, appropriately social distance from the person in front of us. And if we're actually doing it, we're standing quite far apart. And then someone cuts in front of us in the line thinking that there's actually space for them. And we get upset because we're thinking that's not right. Why would you do that? It's your internal moral compass that tells you that cutting in line is wrong. Simple example, but it applies all the time. Now, I don't think most of us would actually meet our own moral standard if we really reflect on it, not if we're honest with ourselves. God is actually more gracious than we are. God does not judge us for what we do not know. He judges us for all that we do know. But don't be fooled. No one escapes judgment. Paul told told the church in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, and this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. Now think about this for a moment. God is not judging our outward behavior in this text. He is saying he will judge our thoughts, our attitudes, and our secrets. He is judging everything that we want to hide from everyone else. He is not judging just who we are on the outside. That's a scary thought. We can't sugarcoat this level of scrutiny. Now, I don't know about you, but the thought of having my secret life, my inner life judge, that actually terrifies me. I can do my best to hide my darkness from people. I can put my best foot forward. I can behave appropriately in in, uh, first situations. But Paul tells us that everything that's inside of us, every thought, every selfish idea will be judged. Now, you might be thinking that I'm being too heavy-handed or too serious about God's judgment. After all, God is love. And Jesus' willingness to go to the cross on our behalf is an act of love. Jesus hung out with the outcasts of society to show how much he loved people. And many people have the opinion that God's judgment is overrated and overemphasized. I've often heard that. But friends, don't be fooled by popular opinions. You need to check the facts. And I think if anything should motivate us to check facts in this, it's this crazy COVID season we're in. We need our facts checked. We all know that there are many opinions about what is going on with COVID. Uh, Google COVID. And within seconds, you'll be inundated with all kinds of conspiracy theories. Fact-checking is becoming increasingly important. Well, the same principle applies to our spirituality. It seems that today, opinion rather than facts are, is, are ruling people's thoughts. People say things like, I'm living my truth, as if somehow that is universal truth. The problem is that my truth may not actually be true. I just think it's true. Friends, there is objective truth. I can deny it. I can disagree with it. But the truth does not bend to my opinion. That is reality. It is significantly more important that Christ followers gain God's perspective on our lives and the world we live in than to follow popular opinion, than to follow conspiracy theories, than just to say, I think, I feel. We need to remember that God is sovereign and that we as Christ followers live with eternity in mind that this world is not all there is. Remember, as Christ followers, we not only live for the future, but we also live from the future. You get that? We live from the perspective that God will renew all things as he brings his kingdom into the fullness of his glory. We not only live for the future, we live from the future. We need God's truth more than we need our opinions. We need to align our lives with his reality to do our homework, Don't just live by your opinions or the opinions of others. 
So how does this apply to today's text? Live by God's rules. Not by the ones you make up. Not by your own rules. Live by God's rules. Many people, many, many people live by their own rules rather than by God's rules. They think that God will judge them based on their good intentions. While others believe that God will accept everyone into his kingdom because God is love. They don't see how love and judgment go together. They can't reconcile the two. Now, every parent knows that love and judgment are all part of being a good parent. That's always part of the story. But what did Jesus say? Well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23 uh, said, On judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and performed miracles in your name. That sounds pretty good. Then Jesus said, But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. You break God's laws. Isn't that interesting? Jesus' reference to God's laws. The New Living Translation of the Bible referred to people who break God's laws. The English Standard Version of the Bible uh, refers to people who commit works of lawlessness, right? They're doing their own thing. They're living outside the law. In other words, these people have not kept the law of God. Now think about the implications of Jesus' words. This means that some people who are sincere in their religious devotion, prophecy, healing, casting out demons, will not pass judgment. People who hold to the truth of the Bible, who would fight for correct doctrine, who are sure to point out false teaching of others, these same people will be out when they thought they were in. Why? Because they were lulled into a false sense of religious security. The Apostle Paul addresses this issue uh, with Roman Jews in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2 of Romans, which say, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, and boast in God, and know his will, and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law. So it's this list of things the Jews thought about themselves. Bible commentator uh, Kent Hughes points out how Paul identifies six aspects of the Jews' misguided sense of religious privilege from verses 17 and 18. First he said, they were called Jews. What does that mean? They were so proud of their name that many Jews living in Gentile cities used it as a surname. It'd be like me saying, Willie Reimer, Jew. So people knew who I am. They relied on the possession of the law, the Torah, as giving them unique standing before God. They thought that they had special status simply because they possessed the law. Thirdly, they boasted about their relationship with God. Now, boasting about God is good. Bragging that we're God's favorite is bad, but they boasted about it. Fourthly, they prided themselves on knowing God's revealed will derived from the Ten Commandments and the Scriptures. Fifthly, they prided themselves in making superior moral judgments. They thought they were far beyond the ignorant Gentiles. And lastly, they were instructed by the law, and because they knew the law, they, possess, they thought they possessed the moral and spiritual high ground simply because they possessed and knew the law. Now, these six things were wonderful privileges for the Jews, but the Jews had turned them into marks of pride and superiority over the, the theological ignorance of the Gentiles. Now, Paul could identify with the sentiments of the Jews. Like, think about who Paul was. 
before he became a Christ follower. He was among the group that, that was most zealous for their Jewish heritage. He prided himself in knowing the law, in applying the law. He relied on the law. He lived the law. He breathed the law. He took confidence from the law. That is who Paul was. But he recognized that it blinded him from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was under judgment because of it. This was a warning and a rebuke for the Christian Jews in Rome. But it's also a warning for those of us who have followed Jesus for years, who know our Bibles, have studied God's word, and take great pride in our biblical knowledge and commitment to God's word. We take the moral high ground through our biblical knowledge and perhaps think less of those who don't know the Bible as well as we do. Friends, we can easily become like the Jews and blinded to our spiritual reality. Friends, do not let your religion blind you. Do not let your religion blind you. Paul writes how this attitude revealed itself in daily life uh, in, in the church in Rome. In verse 19, he said, You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You, speaking to the Jews, think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children in the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. You see, the self-righteous Jews had persuaded themselves that they were superior to the people of other nations. They pictured themselves as guides for the blind, as lights for those in darkness, as verse 19 tells us. There is no one quite so blind as those who are confident that they can see, especially if that they can see better than others. It's interesting that Jesus' most severe words were directed against the Pharisees, right, Jews who knew the law really well, and he called them blind guides in Matthew chapter 23. So Paul is making a play on Jesus' words. Instead of being a light to those living in darkness uh, without God, the Jewish nation had withdrawn them, themselves from other cultures and took pride in it. Their pride drove their sense of superiority that led to teaching uh, from the position of a spiritual pedestal. Paul was coming after them with the strongest of language. The Gentiles sensed the superiority of the Jews, and they resented it. In fact, it, it is said that in Alexandria, the Jews allegedly took an oath never to show kindness to a Gentile. Never to show kindness to a Gentile. The Jews' privileges that should have produced humility and compassion instead produced arrogance and loveless egotists. Now, we live in a world that is calling out privilege wherever it sees it and even where it doesn't. Everyone's accused of privilege of some sort. As Christ followers, we can never claim privilege. We can never claim that we are better than anyone, that we are more loved by God, that we are more forgiven than others. There is nothing uglier than when the church of Jesus Christ pontificates its moral superiority or when someone who claims to follow Jesus expresses their knowledge in self-righteousness and self-centeredness. Really, all it shows is how self-deceived we are. These are the people Jesus had the harshest words for. He never held back in letting them know what he thought of their attitudes and actions. Claiming personal holiness always violates the very claim that we're making. It's like telling people how proud I am of my humility. We know that doesn't work. When we, as Christ followers, think and behave as if we are superior to others, we, we betray the very grace of God 
that has been extended to us. Our knowledge of God's word and our relationship with God should absolutely never be reflected in arrogance or superiority or presumption or privilege. We do so to great danger to our souls and sit in God's judgment for representing him. Paul calls the prideful teachers to account for their own lives. In Romans uh, chapter 2, verse 21, uh, Paul asks, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? When you say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. Now, Bible commentators tell us that it was common knowledge, apparently in the day, uh, in Paul's day, that many religious Jews violated their own teaching in their business affairs. They found ways to get around the law for their personal benefit. They were known as hypocrites in so many ways. Paul is telling them that if you're going to teach it, you need to live it. And it's obviously no different for us today. If we teach it, if we say we believe it, we need to live it. We don't live it just because it's convenient. We don't lay aside our beliefs because they have become too costly to be committed to. Now, when I was in university, I worked in a store uh, where I was selling motorcycles and boats and snowmobiles, all kinds of fun stuff that I love to sell and be around and use. One of our staff was a Christ follower who made a big deal of his faith while at the same time treating women customers as sex objects. The staff who were not Christ followers often commented on his lewd behavior. And you can imagine how difficult his behavior made it for any of the rest of us who were Christ followers to communicate the truth and love of Jesus to the rest of the staff. His, his example was greater than ours. Now, after he left the company, another thing happened. The owner of that company was also a Christ follower. And a few years after I worked there, he was charged with fraud. And actually, his actions changed the way the entire industry across Canada tracked their inventory. How we live as Christ followers matters. Those experiences and others that I've had in business is one of the reasons I'm actually so passionate about our Marketplace Leaders events. I believe it is so vital that we decompartmentalize our faith, that we integrate our faith into every part of our lives, particularly into our business and everyday work lives. Listen to what Paul says in verse 24. He says, The name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles because of you. Oh, that stings. Those are tough words. What a harsh indictment of Paul to the church and to the Jews in particular. Now remember, while the Holy Spirit is one who draws people to God, it is the people of God who are the example to the world of what it means to follow God. We are God's billboard. We are God's most powerful social social media tool. I mean, pick whichever metaphor you want. Our lives, our words, our actions reflect the heart of God and the truth of God more powerfully than anything else because we are the observable reflection of God long before people ever go to church or pick up a Bible. If we're so focused on being right, on knowing right, on speaking right, on letting others know when they are wrong, we will judge, be judged by God, even though we know all about God. Now, in recent years, there's been numerous religious leaders who have been publicly exposed for sexual sin. 
The impact upon those who trusted them as spiritual guides is great. The fallout is great. And the damage to the reputation of God is great. The conduct of the thoughtless few has disillusioned thousands. To bear the name of God is a sacred trust. To violate that trust has severe repercussions for those leaders themselves and for those whose spiritual growth is harmed by their actions. Jesus' severe denunciation of those who cause others to sin in the book of Luke is so appropriate. He talked about a millstone being hung around their neck. That'd be better for that to happen than to mislead one of the little ones, one of the new people who've come to faith. If you've been misrepresenting Jesus, I urge you to stop right now. Ask Jesus for your forgiveness. Confess your sins to him. Make things right with Jesus and then make things right with the people you've harmed or misled. Do not go on living a double life. To continue places you under God's judgment. Don't be blinded by your religion. Live free in Jesus. Live free in Jesus. Now, all of us make mistakes at times. I know I do. I misrepresent God at times. And I'm so thankful for God's forgiveness. Now, if you've kept track of of my message, you notice I've only answered the first question of the two that I raised. And it's the main one. That first question was, what if I don't know the law? The second question is, do I have to follow the law to be saved or accepted by God? Another way to ask that question is, do I have to work my way to God? Do I have to work my way to God? So I've got bad news and good news for you. First, the bad news. If you continue on reading in Romans, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it tells us that we can't work our way to God. It says, for by works of the law, no human will be justified in God's sight. Since the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, you can't work your way to God. And you will never be able to keep the law perfectly. So it's bad news. Sort of. But before you panic, let me remind you of what Paul says in Romans 3, 21 and 22, the next couple of verses. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So the only way to God, Jew or Gentile, is to put your faith in Jesus and receive forgiveness for your sins through his death and resurrection. That's the good news. He paid the price for your sin, for my sin. He removes your shame through his forgiveness. He conquered the power of death. He defeated evil. God adopts you and me into his family and gives us his identity when we put our faith in Jesus. Good works won't save you. Trying to keep the law won't save you. It is only putting your faith in Jesus that saves you and me. Don't get caught up in good works religion, friends. Please, don't get caught up in good works religion. We don't do good works so that God will save us. We do good works because he has saved us. Good works are a response to God's love and grace. It's giving back to the one who's given so much to us for the benefit of the bride of Christ and in God's glory. For those who have not put their faith in Jesus, understand that just as God will judge followers of Jesus, he will also judge you. To try to rationalize your behavior and say to God some of the popular moralisms of our day really won't work. Now, when I think of rationalizing behavior, I remember how well it worked for me when I tried it with my parents or when my kids tried it with me. So it obviously didn't work with my parents or with me. 
And, uh, and those kind of rationalizations also don't work with friends, and they surely won't work with God. Now, we can't stand before God and say, God, I did my best. Isn't that enough? Or perhaps to err is human. To forgive is divine, God, right? And you're divine, so you should forgive. How about everyone's doing it? We've all tried that one. Or the ever popular, I'm living on the right side of history. And the one we've probably all said, nobody is perfect. Now, none of these excuses are relevant. And we must reject the habit that we have as human beings of rationalizing our behavior, of blame shifting, or trying to pin our actions on our parents, on our environment, or on our external influences. We need to simply accept that we, we need to receive Jesus' forgiveness and grace. The Bible repeatedly reminds us that Jesus did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that is why we can have new life in him. How? The book of John, uh, 1 John makes it so clear. 1 John uh, 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's that simple. It's that straightforward. Ask Jesus to forgive. Receive his forgiveness and follow him. Let him remove your shame and give you identity in his family. I want to pray as we close. And first, I want to pray for believers who've been struggling, who've been trying to follow God by doing good works, or who know that you've misrepresented God. And then I'd like to pray for people who would like to take that first step in following Jesus. So for those in our family, I'd like to pray for you. Father, I thank you that you are a good and gracious God. I thank you that you judge us based on our knowledge of you and our experience of you. And you put that in us from the very beginning of time. We have a moral compass. We have a conscience. And you don't judge us for what we do not know. But we all have a sense of who you are, whether we know the Bible from cover to cover or we've never read it. You are fair and you are just. And Father, as your people, I know there are times we misrepresent you and times I've misrepresented you, Lord. And I ask your forgiveness for my misrepresentation of you. And I pray you would sensitize me to those times when I'm walking in ways to try and self-justify, when I'm walking in sense of superiority and pride, Lord. Point it out to me so I can see it, so I'm not blind. And Father, for the people listening today, I pray, Father, that you would speak into their hearts. You would point out the places where they've tried to work their way to you. They've tried the places where they, the places where they've tried to earn your forgiveness and your grace and standing with you. Father, I pray that they will open their hearts and their minds and ask you simply, Jesus, point out in my life the things I need to take care of and the relationships I need to repair. And thank you that you will walk with us to do that. I also want to pray simply for the people who want to make a decision to follow Jesus. You can simply pray with me. Jesus, thank you for coming into this world, for showing me what it means, who God is, as you live that out in your perfect life. Thank you for going to the cross and paying for my sins through your death. Thank you for defeating the power of death through your resurrection. Thank you for removing my shame. Please come and forgive my sin, remove my shame. Come and be the leader of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and guide me to follow you every day from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
If you've prayed one of those prayers, I would encourage you to tell a Christ-following friend so they can walk with you and pray with you and encourage you. Or press the connect button and get connected to our community. Or join a life group so you have a group of people who walk with you. And walk with Jesus every day as he guides you.